Welcome to another episode of the Into the Wilderness podcast. On today's show, we'll have Chris Cunningham, a Royal Navy diver, who will be on the Royal Navy and Royal Marines Antarctic Endurance 2016 expedition. This is going to be a fascinating discussion, talking with a modern-day explorer. It's a slight departure from our usual debate, but adventure is very much at the heart of our Into the Wilderness series, so this was an opportunity that we couldn't pass up. This podcast has been brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. Welcome to another Into the Wilderness podcast. This week we've got a very special program for you. We've got Chris Cunningham joining us uh, over a Skype call. And he is on one of the, the latest expeditions with the, the Royal Navy. And we're going to hear all about that and everything that they're going to be doing out there and how that harks back to a major event in our, in our history. So I'm going to let Daryl lead off with, with the, the initial questions because um, Chris is actually a, a Royal Navy diver. And so was my brother. In fact, the two of them used to, used to dive together. So... I'm going to let Daryl lead away with this, and I'll, I'll come in when I, I think I've got something intelligent to say. Um, hi, Chris. Um, hi, so, uh, obviously, I know you uh, quite well. We worked together for um, a number of years. Uh, but basically, for everyone else that doesn't know you, we would like to know a little bit about your background, your life, you know, where you came from, all the way up to what made you join the Navy. So we'll start with that. Uh, yeah, so I come from Glenrothes, and that is in Fife, in the east coast of Scotland. Uh, yeah, just lived a normal childhood, uh, playing football, running about hills, running about farms. Uh, yeah, nothing too drastic to report that, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was, I grew up, I didn't know what I wanted to do, or where I wanted to go, or anything like that. I was about well, uh, lost in a way. And then I knew I wanted to do more with my life and the chance came up to join the Navy. So I jumped at it and here I am. And and of, uh, and of course you joined uh, the best branch in the Navy. Yeah, yeah, you could say. You could definitely say. <laughs> well, I'm curious, Chris. I mean, I know from my my brother's point of view why he ended up, uh, you know, becoming a diver. But what was it that drew you to that in particular? Oh, it was it was quite simple. I was looking through the uh, the pamphlet that you know the Navy gives you, and they're like, "Oh, you can do this, you can do that." Uh, and I seen I seen a diver, and I thought that's that's great. I've ne- never dived before, but I love the war. Uh, done a bit of swimming and all of that. Uh, and then went into the careers office to chat a bit more about it, and <clears throat> they said that no one, no one from uh, from Fife that they hadn't put anyone through. They said it's too hard, and I probably wouldn't be able to pass it. So that was that was a challenge that I needed, I guess. Like, uh, yeah. uh, uh, and let's face it, the the pretty pictures and the pamphlets really draw you in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They sell it well. It does, uh, doesn't quite reflect in the harsh reality of it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not at all, really, not at all. Um, so y- you know, we've uh, talked a little bit about obviously, you know, up to joining uh, joining the navy. Um, yeah. And so we'll go into basically um, 
your day-to-day job right now? I know that right now you're part of Northern Diving Group. Well, hang on, Daryl. I, I, I want to hear about the training from his point okay, of view. Okay, well, okay. <laughs> let's let's well, talk about that let's, first. Let's, let's talk about the, the training as in your dive training. And that obviously my brother's heard from my my point of view. So make sure you tell him that it was as hard as I've told everyone else. <laughs> um, what, your modest point of view? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I was told by uh, by a, a good uh, PO diver never get let the truth get in the way of a good story. So, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I think for for everyone else out there, I think it's really interesting to hear what you guys go through to be a, a bomb disposal bomb disposal diver. That is your correct title, was it? Mine clearance diver. Sorry, mine clearance, mine diver. clearance diver. So just yeah, give us an, an idea of how that training goes, and then what you end up doing afterwards. Yeah. So. Initially, we join up. Uh, everyone uh, that's going to be a rating uh, join, that joins up goes through rally. Uh, that's just uh, basic militarisation, uh, getting you folding the correct way and just trying to weed out the... Shaving uh, your head. The weak, effectively, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, then after that, it's more when the fun starts, to be honest. Uh, spend... Yeah, I think I think it's in total after you go to D odds and everything. It's it's seven or eight months, but it's six months at the island at least dive training. I think. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you spend uh, six months down Horsey Island, Portsmouth, uh, where on a day-to-day basis you you higher fizzing up and uh, you're getting beasted or you're in the water uh, diving and. The best, the best way for you to learn is uh, by learning through the painful way of your mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and and your, mis- your your mistakes are sometimes extraordinarily painful. Yeah, yeah, they tend to be quite painful. But no, we we do a whole bunch of different sets uh, when you go into the train. And I know myself; I went through a winter course, so I was doing four hours in the water, uh, at like one degree water, maybe a bit. My my, my course, my course is a winter course as well. Yeah, it's not pleasant. <laughs> it's not pleasant, and the 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 dry bags that they give you don't keep you particularly dry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you might as well have so, a wetsuit actually. Yeah, yeah, but there's there's quite a lot of people drop out of it. Uh, ooh, I think in my first select in my selection, there was twenty five of us on it. Uh, and then what? How many passed her? Six people passed her, uh, her class in the end. So yeah, it's it's a fair dropout rate, and uh, that's the. Uh, I mean, I mean, just just going for for mine to give people an example that obviously the, this dropout rate is normal on mine. On I think the the first selection week there was thirty eight people, and by the end of the week they had ten. And when I finished my course, there was only four of us left. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But that's that's exactly what they need. Otherwise, everyone could do it. Uh, and there's only, I think it's 300 of us in a navy of 40 odd thousand. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of an accomplishment. Which I bet it's a pat on the back, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it sure is. And uh, you're, sorry, Daryl, uh, after completing that, I know that, uh, you know, Daryl ended up going on two deployments after that. What was your. What was your process going from that to Northern Dive, Diving Group that you're in now? Yeah, uh, so I spent the dive training uh, and then 
I was lucky enough to join Northern Band Group as a diver too, just for a short period of time and get a wee trip away with them before I went on ship, which gave me gave me a taste of what what I wanted to do effectively. Because when when you go on ship, you're you're based more you're more navy, uh, so to say. Uh, you're you're on a ship, you're going away. It gave you a light the at the end of the tunnel, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly, uh, and. Yes. Sorry, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so when when I went I went on to ship, uh, we went straight into a Baltic deployment which was five months of uh visiting different cities around uh Europe. Uh, you, you did exactly the same deployment as my first deployment, which was a Baltic deployment. I'd like to say we were working, but it was more of a a drinking deployment yeah. than anything else. <laughs> I think you might have relieved me, actually. I, I did, actually. Uh, well, I, I was in um, Estonia where oh, I, when I relieved the crew, I think. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in fairness, I've done some of better diving on that deployment. Uh, we got we got ready a few World War Two mines. Uh, yeah, fair bit of diving on that Baltic deployment. Some harsh waters outside Poland. and Yeah, it was, it was really good. Just give give for for everybody else who hasn't heard the these stories before, just explain how it works from from finding a mine to essentially disposing of it. I've I've been lucky enough to see a shoreside uh, removal of a, of a mine where I actually uh, yeah this was up in Sky actually when when Daryl was was on de- on deployment up there. No, I wasn't on deployment. Oh, no, I, I was just on duty. Just on duty. <laughs> well, yeah. You know. Um, so I have actually had a chance to see it, but for those people who haven't seen it, how does it work underwater? Yeah, so when when you're based on a ship, the way they go about it is uh, the so the ship's going up and down uh, lanes and they're mine hunting. Uh, they they pick out a bunch of contacts they picked up uh, using the the sonar. Uh, they then from that period of time they send what is what they call the the sea fox. It's a small underwater submarine. Uh, you drive that down, you check it out. If that is uh, the real deal, then they send ourselves in. Uh, a lot of the time, the sea fox isn't working, so the divers are diving every contact, and that's when it's, you're, you're, you're busy, to or, say the least. Or, or you end up rescuing the sea fox when it's gone out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah quite a lot, quite a lot. Uh, yeah, so from that period, we then deploy the, the dive team. The dive team uh, heads out. They, they use our... Oh, how how you describe it? I've not done it. No, uh, yeah, so the dive team dive it anyway. Uh, they, they pack it with explosives. You were prepared to explosives before you went out there. Uh, you pack it with explosives. You come up. Uh, you check everything's okay on ship, your, your boat's good, uh, and then you then set off with uh, uh, the the correct delay. From that period of time, you make your way back to the boat, or you definitely get your get yourself out of there, and then it goes off after like a, a ten minute fuse or a five minute fuse, depending upon what you set. Really. Uh, and then, uh, uh, and of course sorry, you, you you forgot to to mention there that that especially in um well one of the problems that I had when I was um 
in like the North Sea is there's a lot of underwater pipelines. So I'm sure you were actually going to say that if yeah. the, if the mine or the piece of ordnance is in an incorrect position, well, the most dangerous part of it would actually have been having to move it from a different position to to then yeah. pack it with explosives. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, we just have a good job with that. Uh, that uh, I, so I, I saw I saw on the news. Just tell us tell us what what it was. Yeah. Uh, so it was an old World War Two mine. Uh, it was just outside Gurick, uh on the west coast of Scotland. Uh, we we dived it, realised that it was what uh, we thought it was. We came back, had a planned operation, put put what's called the mine lifting bag on it. Uh, we ended up having to put two on it. Uh, it was a quite a big a big mine, uh, and we had to tow it. Uh, two miles down down the road, oh, sorry, down the river, away from uh, the town of Gurick, which had been half evacuated in case it had gone off. Uh, so, so it was it was it was right next to the town then. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was right. It was quite close, and because of the size of the the mine and proximity to town, had that gone off when uh, we were moving it, then yeah, there could have been some major issues there. Uh, and and of course, I mean, I, I, this is coming up um, very shortly. I was going to ask you what you do on your day-to-day uh, life um, in, in the Navy in your role that you're doing right now, but just tell everyone what you were doing this morning. I mean, th- this will give you a good idea on a day-to-day <laughs> life of what you, you do. Where were you and what were you doing this morning? Because it was on the news. Yeah, well, I kind of uh, all set off yesterday in the middle of the the rugby like, like oh, no, nightmare. Oh, I wouldn't I wouldn't even bring this up. But yeah. <laughs> last last ten minutes of the rugby, I'm sitting there, I'm cheering on Scotland, I get a phone call, uh, tell me the job's on, uh, get everyone down. Uh, so straight away, work clothes on, combat's on, get get everyone uh, get the bang, uh, the explosive, sorry, and we then set off for Aberdeen, blue lighting all the way. Uh <laughs> We get up there, we we go and have a look at the mine. Uh, well, so it wasn't, it was a, an anti-tank uh, mine from World War II. We, so we had a look at that, but it was dark by this point. So there's nothing we could do about it in that period of time. Uh, you can't you can't do dens uh, in the dark because you can't conform a clear range. Uh, so we left the police garden all night, effectively. Yeah, uh, I saw that on the news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure they were really tough at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, nine o'clock this morning, we we were down there first thing. We set up the the dams and we, we set up a hundred meter cordon and blew up uh, down on Aberdeen Esplanade. Uh, and and, uh, yeah. and just to just to confirm to any press that that may listen, um, it was in fact the Navy bomb disposal and not the Army don- bomb disposal that was yeah. in the papers today. Yeah, it was, it was definitely yeah. you, wasn't it? It was definitely you. Oh, it was definitely me. <laughs> <laughs> Does that happen quite a lot? Where you get the Army taking credit for your work <laughs> inadvertently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the combats give it away. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, so I mean, obviously, we've just had a, a quick snippet of your your day to day life. Now, obviously, on Northern Diving Group, I know myself what's involved. Uh, but can you just give us um, two weeks? So obviously, uh, a duty week, and then let's say a harbour week. Just explain what those two are and what you do. Yeah. So. I'll, I'll talk you through this week that I've just done. I was ID duty. Uh, so, as part of the ID duty, we cover the west coast of Scotland uh, for ID cover. So, we've dealt with things in the past, like the Neil, the Neil Lennon uh, letter bombs. I, I think the lads were on the on the scene when the Glasgow 7 7 uh, bombings happened at the airport. Yeah, they were, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm terrible with dates. It's not seven seven, is it? That's London. Uh, it, it was yeah, anyway, it, where where they drove into the um, the front yeah, of the, the airport. airport. Yeah, yeah. So the the lads were on scene uh, down in Glasgow uh, when that happened. Uh, so, but as part of that duty, I am at ten minutes notice at the all times ready to leave. Uh, it's, it's happened a few times uh, recently. It was, it was cold called out into uh, Glasgow for a uh, grenade in a man's house. Uh, There's been been some quite high-profile cases, but I'll probably better not talk too much about them, to be honest. Yeah, Uh, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, As the week progressed on, I ended up uh, having to cover our friend, uh, JB, uh, and the CMD uh, roster. So that that means that anything that turns up on the beach below the the high water mark is the navy's effectively. So so you uh, went you went from sorry you went from your IED duty. So if anyone that's not listening, an IED is an improvised explosive device, and you yeah. basically changed into an EOD, which is um, your explosive ordnance disposal. But you're both basically doing both during the week. Okay. Yes. Uh, that was that was just purely helping a friend out. To be honest. Uh, but uh, as part of that duty, we ended up on a job in the, the Isle of Islay. Uh, <laughs> so, 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 so you get around a lot. <laughs> yeah, we cover from Liverpool North, effectively, including all of the islands. Uh, so we can find ourselves in a, a, a normal duty week, going from Liverpool up to the Isle of Harris and yeah it's a great way to see see the country let's put it that way uh, I think when when I was at Northern Diving Group I saw more of the the aisles than I've ever done in my entire life in a very short space of time yeah uh, I find myself in strange peculiar little towns in the middle <laughs> of nowhere and it's, it's one of the most interesting parts of the job really is this, the strange sights that you see and the, the beautiful sights that you see when you're hiking up a hill to find something, or oh, it's, it's brilliant. So it's, I could rant, rant on about it for hours. So, so, so take us through. Um, obviously, you're not duty all the time. You do that once every. Well, it's meant to be once every four weeks. You're meant to do the bomb disposal duty. Um, yeah, and then, roughly. And then the rest of the time, you're basically um, harbour or or doing something in your section. Can you just explain to everyone what is involved in harbour? Because obviously everybody knows in Faz Lane they have the nuclear submarines there um, and also it's a very busy port. So can you just explain what you would end up doing in harbour? So just a harbour week. Uh, we're at call uh, 
for the submarines pretty much and anything that's happening around the, the harbour. Uh, so on a normal day-to-day uh, basis uh, as harbour duty, we can find ourselves underneath the submarine for hours, uh, carrying out basic maintenance, uh, uh, some quite complex jobs as well, in fairness. Uh, we can then be shipped across to go and work on the ships. Uh, it's, it's a very wide-ranging uh, duty, Sorry. Uh, where yeah, we can get called into many different things, but harbour, uh, in basic terms, is any diving job that comes in uh, that's not obviously bomb disposal as the other duty lads deal with that. Uh, uh, the harbour team's going to be dealing with that effectively. Uh, and, of, and of course, that also involves flying across the world to do maintenance on submarines or whatever it may be as well, to America, for yeah, example. That's, yeah, that's not quite harbour duty. It's, it falls on a different bracket. But yeah, yeah, we find ourselves uh, across America, out out in some strange countries, uh, uh, fixing the submarines. But yeah, uh, um, no, it's, it's all part. Of, it's all part, part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. Um, and uh, one other, we'll just touch one other thing that like Northern Diving Group does. Are you NSRS trained? Are you? I am NSRS. So, trained. would you be able to just explain very briefly because it is actually. A f- it's a simple but slightly quant- complicated thing. Just very simply, what what that is and and what uh, Northern Diving Group does in that part of it, because it's actually it's something that that goes on that nobody really mm-hmm. knows about, um, and it's it's quite a big thing, really. Oh, it's a huge thing, huge thing. So NSRS is something the British, the French, and the Norwegians have uh, come into together, and it is the NATO submarine rescue system. So. If us, you, if our NATO submarine was to go down anywhere in the world, uh, the NSRS system would be on site within seventy-two hours. I yeah, believe. Yeah, I, I believe uh, it's Don't that, yeah. quote me on that. Yeah, uh, and they would effectively put put in proper layman's terms. They'd send down a, a mini submarine. Uh, it's the R C O that would clag onto the submarine. Uh, they'd then rescue. A number of uh, whoever they could at that time, uh, they'd bring it up. That would then connect onto the NSRS system. Now the NSRS system is just put basically as a, a number of chambers put together, uh, recompression chambers put together, uh, in order to decompress the the, sub- uh, the submariners and the divers. Yeah, yeah. exactly, uh, in a safe manner where it's going to do as little. Uh, harm to them as possible. Yeah, that, well, that that that's brilliant. Now, now we. So oh, this, I actually just had uh, one question just before we go on to something that's yeah. really really exciting, and that is, just can you just explain what what the dangers are to the diving that you guys that you guys do? Because everyone knows that diving is can be dangerous. Obviously, you guys are diving on bombs. I mean, that's a whole different danger. Yeah. But the bomb and explosives aside. What are the yeah. the major dangers t- for for diving? Uh, so the body is not designed to to be underwater at that depth. Uh, so the further uh, the long the deeper you go and the longer uh, time that you sp- the, the longer the period that you spend underwater uh, increases the chance of your body picking up uh, picking up uh, an injury effectively. Uh, Will that be a decompression illness? Will that be as simple as problem in your your ears? Oh, I don't want to go too in depth with the uh, 
with the illnesses and that that you can get. But yeah, put put simply, the the body is definitely not designed to be down there. Uh, so if you if you follow out the correct uh, procedures, uh, then you're nine times out of well ninety nine times out of hundred you'll be perfectly fine. But we there are instances where there's, there's just nothing you can do about it and it's, I've heard that your body's uh, not not going to be uh, too great when you come back up. You, you, that's, a, that's a fairly hazy way of describing yeah, no, yeah. it. <laughs> Daryl, you've got quite a, a good example. I was going to say good experience, but it wasn't a good experience, but a good example of the potential dangers that uh, could come about all of a sudden without you even realizing you, that something was wrong. Are you talking about me going blind? Yeah, yeah, I was referring to that. Oh, okay. Well, I, I think I think Chris may may know about this this one actually, and I mean, but basically the, the short of it was I was on my Baltic deployment. It was the end of the year, and we had just found a 500 pound uh, German airdrop bomb, and it was my job yeah. to go down, put the explosives on it. Um, it went absolutely perfectly. Dive was perfect. Um, like you said, if you follow everything correctly, it's probably going to be all right. Uh, but then yeah. when I came up, about an hour afterwards, I started to lose my vision. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I basically, everything was just blurry for like two, three days. And eventually, um, you know, I got a lot of medical attention. I was fine after three days. But it just shows mm-hmm. you that it's very. Sometimes diving is very unpredictable. You can do everything right, and yet it still sometimes throws you a curveball. <laughs> but so, sometimes it is literally how hard you've been pushing your body before you've even got in the water. Yeah, ex- exactly. You, you don't take that, you know, the physical aspect of your body. And it's just like, a, a good example is uh, sadly uh, when I was going to the training, uh, a man passed away down in Horsey Island, and that was because he'd taken a heart attack under the water. Yeah, uh, it, it shows you how you hard you're working. To, yeah, he, so he's taking a heart attack in the water, and that's not just... Uh, if that happens on the surface, uh, and just walking down the street, you can deal with that, and you can see it, but when that happens in the water, and you're by yourself, you're, you're, you've got some major issues here, and it's not like you can turn around and get your phone out and phone 999 or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. You're just kind of... You're relying on your dive partner to sort you out the best that you can but he's not it's a very hard thing to it's limited underwater what you can do yeah exactly exactly well we're, we're going to move on and we're going to move on to this very exciting um expedition that you're going on and this is a uh, royal navy and royal marines uh led expedition antarctic endurance 2016 um mm-hmm. so would you be able to tell us um about their expedition to begin with Okay, uh, so the, the whole expedition uh, is based around uh, Shackleton. Obviously, it's a hundred years since uh, Shackleton was down there, uh, and what we're what we're going to do is uh, we're going to sail from the Falklands. Uh, we're going to head south down to Antarctica, uh, visit a number of spots uh, where uh, Shackleton was, conduct some uh, surveys. We're then going to head back up, uh, up to South Georgia, uh, and then cross the South, South Georgian glaciers like Shackle and famously did to save his men. Yep. Uh, and then we're going to head back up to the Falklands. All in all, it's going to take us six weeks 
of some of the most arduous seas in the world. Yeah, I mean, some of the most unpredictable glaciers in the world right now as well. Uh, I mean, I, I we'll go into this in a little bit because I'm going to ask you the question. But I um, just doing some research on it today. They they were basically saying that obviously when Shackleton did it, it was nails. But mm-hmm. due to the ice actually melting, the glaciers melting, the crevasses and stuff that they are, you will have to cross now are even bigger. Yeah, yeah, the the glaciers uh, it's harder than what Shackleton detects, but. In fairness, we've not quite. We won't be quite going through what shackle and then instead of getting there, or our body certainly won't be in as bad shape. Or I hope not. Anyway, I'd be pretty disappointed if I am. But yeah. So, so uh, we we have some information on Shackleton, but would you be able to? Because there'll be a lot of people that have actually heard his name because he's a very famous person, but don't really know his story, or even or even what he did, or even what he did. And it's quite an incredible story. I think there is actually a movie you could watch. Uh, I think there is for the for the lazy uh, for the lazy people out there. <laughs> I think there's a TV series. I remember there was. You're right. There was a three part series, yeah. three part series. You're right. Well, yeah. so would you be able to just tell us about the Shackleton expedition and and kind of what's inspired this one? I guess. Okay, so this this expedition was the brainchild of Commander uh, uh, Tim Winter, and he's based this around uh, Shackleton's great expedition. So when Shackleton was down there, he he had went down there, setting off to be the first man to get to the pole and then keep going effectively uh, and cross the whole of Antarctica. But once he got down there and he's uh, in his ship, uh, endurance, uh, it was it was trapped in the, the ice, which massively ruined his plans. Uh, so and. When that happened, it was all about saving his men, effectively. How could Shackle and save his men? And this this is where our, our expedition is kind of trying to jump in and uh, learn what we can from that uh, in regards to how the Navy could create great leaders like Shackle. And, uh, so, but anyway, I'm, I'm diversifying. But So Shackleton's down there. He's... Uh, He's got his uh, he's got his men, and they've come up with many different plans. They they had to they had, they had a great uh, joiner uh, craftsman uh, who uh, made made them some huts at the time to try and wear out. Uh, that wasn't working out so well, so they decided that uh, they had to cross parts of Antarctica uh, to get to a place called Elephant Island, uh, where they would set off. Uh, for South Georgia and and the life the lifeboats effectively, uh, so they had to if you you can imagine it they had to drag these uh, these lifeboats across Antarctica uh, in terrible conditions and the bodies you know are slowly dying at this point all they're eating at this point is a uh, stuff that they can catch like uh, so very yeah. very limited food and and um at some point i mean obviously you might even say they ate their dogs um i think when, yes, when they is. when they started their expedition i, I don't uh, I, I, hate, was, I hate referring to that part it, it is it, 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 it is it's a horror it's a horrible part and uh and you know their dogs had puppies and everything when they're out there, and and unfortunately the only way for them to survive was to eat their dogs. But but I mean, you know when you look at it on a survival point of view, the the dogs probably would have died too. Oh, dogs certainly would have died. Uh, and they went out and clubbed seals and grabbed 
thing when they were grabbing by the car and <laughs> come the end of it, they, they were in pretty good nick. Uh, they, weren't in, they weren't in a bad shape. But going back to it, so they've uh, made it to a place called Elephant Island, which I've, we've all been going to and I've only seen pictures of it. It looks one of the most inhospitable places around. <laughs> it's... You know, it makes St Kilda look like a holiday camp. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, I just have the... Sorry to interrupt you, but just to give people an idea of how long to that period in the story, Elephant Island was 497 days into the expedition. Yes. I mean, it's just a phenomenal period of time to think that, you know, there they were unsupported uh, to that point. Mm-hmm. No, and when they've, when they've made that great... Sorry, I'll, I'll explain it a bit better. So they've made it to Elson Island uh, and they've left one group, well, sorry, a group of them on Elson Island hiding under the, the lifeboats, effectively, the two lifeboats. Uh, and they've set, sent two more lifeboats off, Shackleton, uh, and what, one uh, group, one lifeboat with a number of men and another uh, lifeboat. And they were both stayed together. And that was the that was the final push they were going to do to save their men. They made it across to uh, they made it across to South Georgia uh, by some some miracle. I think they got three sightings at the sun to try and work out where they were in that period of time. Uh, so they had a master navigator. Uh, so they they got to the, the south end of the well, sorry. They ended up in the south end of the island, but they, was, they struggled at first to find a place to, to come ashore. They ended up, they found a, they found a, a great cave uh, where they, they took shelter. They tried to recover, uh, it took them three days to recover, if I remember right. Uh, and even then, uh, they, they had to leave some of the men behind. Then Shackleton uh, went for it. He went to save his men. He they were looking for a whaling, a whaling station, weren't they? Yeah, there was a whaling station in the north end of the island. Uh, is it Grimmickin? Uh Yeah, so that, that's, they had been there earlier on in the, in the expedition. They'd set off from around that area. But, so they, they went for it. They went across uh, South Georgia, hit Shackleton, a few, and a few men. Some men had to be left behind. Uh, and they'd done it all in a one-off. Didn't stop. Uh, they, they only had these... Uh, his men in mind, uh, he made it across there. He he turned up uh, in the he turned up at the railing station. No one knew who he was. He was you know, this shell of a man uh, asking for help. And obviously, everyone will know who everyone is in the, these railing stations. Uh, it's not a it's not a huge community. Uh, so he he went to the harbour master and said, "I'm I'm Ernest Shackleton, and I need to help my men." And he saved my men. Uh, and yeah, he, so the the whalers uh, head some of the whalers headed around the island, uh, rescued the rest of the men. Uh, from then, Ernest Shackleton got uh, was assisted. Sorry, from the Chilean Navy, uh, who then went south and uh, saved the rest of the men. Not uh- one. Not one soul was lost in that. Uh, and that that uh, is amazing to not lose one man in those conditions. Yeah. Uh, and exactly. and and it, you know, the length of that that time the that that expedition took, uh, it's mm-hmm. quite easy to lose hope. Um, 
and I, I guess it was just um, him being a good leader and, and also the men must have been very mentally strong as well. Yeah, he is. Uh, what he was down to leadership. Like, when they were uh, when they were taking off uh, the stuff off the ship before it was eventually crushed by the ice, they were told that they were allowed, I think it was 20 kilograms, that's how much uh, personal uh, possessions they could have. So it's except for one thing, uh, and that was the banjos. Uh, sorry, the banjo. Because that was, uh, how does it put it? Medicine for the, the ears and medicine for the mind. So, so uh, a morale yeah. booster. Yeah, exactly. If you're sitting around feeling bad and you start hearing the, the banjo getting plucked and everybody's singing along, it soon picks up the spirits, I'd imagine. As long as it wasn't the duelling banjos, I suppose. Sorry? I said as long as it wasn't the duelling banjos, it was a deliverance yeah, reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, obviously, you know you've just you've just explained Shackleton's expedition. Now, you're you're heading off on this expedition, but it wasn't a case of you just went. I want to go on this expedition, and uh, off you go. There was there was training involved, and there was also a selection process involved. So we'll start with the selection process. How, how did it how did it begin? You know how how did you one how did you hear about this, and um, secondly, what what was involved in the selection process? Okay, um, so I've spent the past 18 months of my life going through this selection process and it all stemmed from one Monday morning. I was sat in front of the computer looking through the, the internet work and there was, a, there was an advertisement on it uh, asking for uh, people to go in for this exhibition. Uh, that, that started off with a weekend in Wales, so a meet and greet some commando leadership tasks, just getting to know people and getting to know what everyone was about. I think there was about, there must be about 80 of us there. Don't quote me on that. Uh, 80 uh, as in 8-0? Yeah, 8-0. Yeah. Uh, a wide range of people. I, I know in my room alone, uh, there's a, there quite a famous adventurer, Seb Coulthard. He was in my room. Uh, he he ended up he pulled out of the expedition process to go on uh, another expedition from fire to ice, but unfortunately just uh, <laughs> just broke his uh, <laughs> he broke his hand. Oh. <laughs> so that's a bit of an argument. But anyway, uh, and those are uh, ultramarathon runner. There was all sorts of people from all different backgrounds. So after that weekend, we we had a couple of weekends in Wales, uh, up in Snowdonia, up in the hills. Uh, we climbed um, Mount Snow down just, I think it was more just to take a box. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's very, it's very touristy. Uh, yeah, went, went on the Chatan, then the week, the week after, uh, oh, sorry, the month after, we, we've, uh, spent, spent the night out in the most horrendous weather. I, I've been camping many, many times up the hills and, some storms, but this was up there. Uh, I wrecked about five or ten, so we were just shoveling people into whatever tent we can. And I think there were four of us in this small two-man tent. Uh, there was myself, there was uh, one of the other guys that's on it, uh, one of the Marine Mountain leaders, uh, Matt Hoy, and a couple of girls. And it was just, uh, you were crammed in. At least but you, then, uh, were you warm? Yeah, I was absolutely roasting. <laughs> Could not be more. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I had a, I thought I had a bad night, and then I got up in the morning, and there was a scene of devastation. <laughs> uh, 
there was uh, some people had some horrendous uh, stories coming out of that, but uh, that was so that the build up to that was uh, running about the, the hills of uh, Snowdonia National Park. Uh, but that that kind of stuff's great for me. I'm, I you know I walk many many bends. That's that's my hobby effectively. So I, I love that kind of thing. But that, after that, when it starts getting a bit more difficult for myself. Uh, start talking about sailing and I, at the start I was one horrendous sailor and I'm, I've not got the strongest stomach in the world but uh, that's, that's getting better uh, so yeah we've done we done a week sailing uh, we got a content crew ticket out of it uh, we were in Portsmouth so we set out from Portsmouth and uh, went up and down the, the English Channel uh, so yeah again some challenging moments uh, then after that, where were we after that? Yes, that was at the Cairngorms. Went done a week winter mountaineering up in the Cairngorms. Uh, that was that was brilliant. Loved it. Absolutely. Right, it. right on our doorsteps, our, our back garden, our almost. back garden. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, it's, it was good for me. I didn't have to travel half the way into the country to make it for once. It was <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> but we, yeah, again, we camped out. Uh, we wrapped. We're, we're up and down the hills. Uh, we're, we're just trying to not weed out anybody, but certainly make people think about what's involved in Antarctica. Think twice uh, about it. Exactly. Make sure just they really to want to be there. Uh, some people tend to go in with uh, blinkered, blinkered eyes, and they just they, they like the, the idea of it, but they're not quite sure about the actual reality of it. Uh, but there's some people that I didn't expect to come out uh, as strong as an ox and, it, and other people that I thought were very very strong weren't quite as strong up the hills uh, yeah so after that we had a we had a North Creek sailing uh, we took uh, we took a yacht down from uh, Portsmouth uh, down to Channel Island uh, uh, round Jersey place like that uh, then headed back up uh, down to Plymouth we took seven days out there uh, uh, yeah, that, that, after that period, that's when things started to get cut down, when numbers started to dwindle. And from there, uh, where did we go after? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I saw you did some glacier training, so that must have been, uh, was that part of the yeah. selection? Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I was uh that was that was later. Uh, we went we went on the three peaks. Uh, well, as a as a good team building exercise, but that that was just after a bit of a, a press launch. As sort of said, down in London, we sailed uh, sailed the yacht Explorer that we're going to be taking down down south uh, under London Bridge. Oh, uh, very nice. I think I saw pictures of that. Yeah, that was. Epic. That's a once in a lifetime opportunity. So you 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 sailed straight up the Thames into London. Yeah, took it round from Portsmouth up the Thames straight through to London. And just so happens the Navy's got a, a Royal Navy Reserve uh, base uh, just under London Bridge, which worked out very well. Uh, then we, we sailed up and down, went under London Bridge twice. Uh, done a bit of TV work. It was uh, it was a great time, really really good time. Oh, that that that, that's, uh, that sounds brilliant, and and so obviously, I mean, how many how many people are now? How 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 many people have been selected now to go on this expedition? Uh, 
wheels, eleven. Eleven, eleven I've, of you. Yeah, I've I've left it one quite big part. Okay. So we've just done our we've just done a week's glacier training out in Austria, which is truly truly immense. I've never been a glacier before, and I never expected to to see the vastness of the glacier, the colours that come out of it, the, the sheer. Although it looks nice and calm from what when you're quite quite a, w- a way away, sorry, bitterly, sorry. Uh, once you get up there, the ruggedness of it and the danger of a, a glacier really sets in. Uh, so, so yeah. was that part of the selection process going to the glacier, or was that your training beginning? It was the final part of the selection process. We were down to, I think we were down to fifteen people at that point. Okay, yeah. Yeah, again, I'm not. Yeah, again, I'm not great with numbers. So around about that, that number, uh, and also just after that, with the final eleven were selected. So, so um, you've you've kind of mentioned. Obviously, the selection that was all that was training at the same time, really, in the selection. Yeah, exactly. So, what have you got going forward training? You must have some other stuff uh, coming up. Uh, yeah, it's all a bit in the air at the moment. Uh, we we are looking at doing something up in the gym, go and check in. Uh, we will be doing uh, some stuff out there just before we set off in the, the Falkland Islands itself. Uh, uh, there's there's a number of things in the, the pipeline, but there's not too much confirmed at the moment. There's talk of sailing as well. Uh, so yeah, we're just waiting to see what, how, where we go for, with that. So and obviously, more personal training. Uh, yeah, as as good as uh, or yeah, as hard as you train. So I'm pretty sure every single person on that expedition is training quite hard at the moment. Now, now this was a question that I was actually going to come to slightly later on. Now the the, yeah. na- the navy is is they they're pretty good when you're doing an expedition like this to give you mm-hmm. time off work. But on the other hand, as you just said today, you are working today on a bomb job. Um, so yeah. they there is a huge amount uh, on you to train in your own time as well. It's not just the case of of uh, oh you're going on an expedition, you've got six months off to train for it. Um, uh, you know, hunky dory that on you go. Uh, you do have to do your other job at the same time. Yeah, it's a massive juggling act. A massive juggling act. The Northern Dying Group, in fairness, I'm playing an absolute blinder with myself. Uh, and they sorted me out the best way that they could. Uh, it's, it's, why the, it's the hardest working team, uh, sorry, diving team in, in the Navy. And somehow they managed to juggle things around. People have done me favours, uh, covered duties, so on and so forth. Uh, a lot of the stuff was done at the weekend. Uh, so... You know, I was giving up a lot of moan free time, uh, which the wife was ready to murder me about it from then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as, as if you don't spend enough time away. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's an ongoing battle. Uh, but no, the Northern Bank were great. And we've got we've got a couple of people up there that helped me quite, quite a lot. So, so Chris, what are you actually doing? What is your personal training regime to get yourself you know, fit and ready for this? Uh, it's, it's simple for myself. It's uh, getting up in the hills as much as I can. Uh, doing a bit carrying of weight as well? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, carrying as much weight as I can at the time. Uh, up in the hills. A uh, bit of running, weights. Uh, just what you'd imagine, really. Uh, I'm just trying to get, get in a yacht 
uh, a bit more trying to get uh, my sea legs a bit better. But no, there's there's a number of ways uh, that I'm trying to improve improve what I've got right now, uh, so that I'm ready for uh, January. So, so um, what what kind of kit are you actually taking on this expedition? Uh, like personal kit, what will you be carrying? Stuff like that. Just give us an, an overview of the kind of kit that you're going to have on you. This is uh, this kind of up for discussion at the moment. Uh, we are working through what what we need and what we want uh, for heading south at the moment. So nothing's really been confirmed, but the obvious ones that. We all know uh, is we're going to have our winter walking boots, we're going to have our crampons, we're going to have our ice axes, uh, we're going to have top end, uh, a, a top end clothing sorry, that will protect us against the, the elements, uh, both for the, the sailing end of the expedition as well as the, the glacier part itself. Uh, yeah, we're not we're not going to be skimping on what we're getting. Uh, I don't think you can go, go down to a place like Antarctica and uh, not fully prepare for that. No, not, not, not at all. It would be it would be slightly foolish to skimp on your kit, wouldn't it, if you're, you're travel, travelling all the way down there. Chris, I was wondering, would you be able to maybe go into a little bit more detail about exactly what what you guys are going to be doing down there? You, you've explained kind of the route that you're going to follow and the period of time that it's going to take you and, and you know the fact that you're sailing down. But it's there is a, a lot of uh, a lot of different things and aspects of the trip that, that you're going to go through, you know, over the six weeks. Yeah. Um, so the whole the whole thing is based. Sorry, the whole expedition is based around uh, developing uh, leaders. Uh, so the whole purpose of the expedition is is that so that we'll be sailing down. Uh, uh, down to Antarctica. Uh, during that period of time, we'll be uh, working on our leadership skills, uh, trying to bring the best of ourselves that way, and trying to learn from each other uh, and what we can what we can get out of it. Uh, once once we're down to Antarctica and we've sailed down there, uh, conquering some of the hot, the toughest seas in the world, uh, we'll be heading ashore. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we'll be heading ashore. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get on Elephant Island. Uh, we'll be visiting some of the great places that Shackle went. Uh, the whole the whole route's on our uh, website. Uh, I'll give our shameless plug to the Antarctic Endurance dot co dot uk. Don't, don't, uh, don't worry. I'll, I'll tell everyone again, and I will put a link um, in this podcast. <laughs> um, to your your Facebook and your um your website at the the end of this. Now now you're saying um obviously you're sailing down, you're going on land. Now sailing has its own yeah. dangers. I mean the sea that you're crossing is notorious for massive seas, and you're not really on a big um a big vessel. I mean th- these are sailing boats that you're on. Um, yeah. So obviously sailing brings its own dangers, and, and people can pretty much picture the dangers involved um in sailing but can you you just go through a small amount and the the dangers in sailing but then the dangers um of the expedition once you're on land the kind of things that you you're going to face when when you're actually doing this expedition okay so uh, the danger of sailing is uh, simple there's that that much happening on the boat that you know ropes going everywhere uh, the boom coming across sort of sails 
there's a number of things that can happen. Obviously, uh, in high seas, you can be swept over over the side. Uh, uh, you can pick, pick up injuries very, very easily. Uh, then you start thinking a bit further apart out out of that, and then think about the sea itself. It's going to be it's going to be full of icebergs. Uh, obviously, icebergs, as you can see, uh, can do some uh, some really really bad, uh, big damage uh, to uh, some big ships. Now, mind just a, a yacht like a own. Are you just out of curiosity? Are the yachts reinforced in any way for ice? I'm I'm assuming they uh, must be. Yeah, there's the yacht the yacht is as safe as get uh, the guy that runs it, uh the yacht is a guy called uh, Steve Wilkins, uh, and he like, I met met Steve down in London and if that man was every single inch of his yacht, uh, inside and out and he's had it he's had that yacht down that way before. He's he's done many uh he's the yacht's been chartered quite by some big names down there, National Geographic, a few others. Uh, well, I'm not buying on about that too much. Uh, but yeah, the yacht's safe, effectively. The yacht is safe. Okay, so so going on to the the dangers on land, what what kind of thing are you expected to face when when you're on land now? It's the the ruggedness of Antarctica, isn't it? The the high winds, uh, the the ice. Uh, the glaciers. What, what kind of temperature are you expected to um, be facing when you're there? Uh, we're high wind chill, getting down to minus thirty five, <laughs> potentially. Yeah, so, uh, so, so much colder than probably anyone has experienced in the UK. Yeah, much colder than I've ever experienced before. So, yeah, it's um, uh, it's something that's quite exciting. In ter- in terms of clothing for that kind of temperatures, is there or do you have to take into account the kind of material that your clothing and footwear and, is made of? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, the kit is vital down there, isn't it? Everything you need uh, has got to be the top top kit. Uh, uh, yet again, like many of the listeners will know, uh, it will be. Uh, working along the lines of uh, the wearing system, uh, you know how many layers that we're going to need that day. We don't. We, the last thing we want to be doing is sweating. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you're sweating down there, then you've got some major issues. But that that also takes in. You have to think about how hard you're working there. If you're working too hard and you're sweating, minus thirty-five degree winds are going to take. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That'll cause its there. own problems. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, now. Obviously, you've explained kind of what your expedition, well, why you're going there, uh, you know, to develop yourselves and leadership and all that. But that's not only why you're going there. There is there a scientific reason as well. Are you doing some research or or anything while you're down there? Yeah, we're conducting a couple of surveys for the Royal Geographical Society. Uh, I'm not too sure the ins and outs of that at the moment. I think that's still getting discussed. What they want to happen down there. Uh, so yeah, we'll wait and see what's going to happen with that. And that. That's brilliant. Now, I just want to talk to you about um, funding and funding the expedition. I only know a tiny, tiny amount about um, where your fundings come from from the expedition. But from what I've read, is most of it is coming from donations. Is, am I correct in that? Yeah, you'd be perfectly correct. Uh, that seems, yeah, seems uh, incredible to me. That yeah, I mean, what? What? Not only is that incredible. That's that's also how Shackleton 
pretty much funded his expedition. His expedition was completely funded by private people. In, in, uh, there yeah. were, in fact, sorry, the British government did give him some money, uh, which, of course, yeah. you'll be getting some from the Navy. Um, so yeah. almost the same way. You, you're being funded um, you know, by donations. Yeah, uh, well, obviously, Shackleton famously uh, started naming things uh, after people that had uh, given him a lot of money. For example, the uh, famous boat, the James Caird, for uh, his saving lifeboat. Uh, they, I remember writing named all the dogs after uh, uh, schools and that, uh, giving them money. Shackleton was getting money in from everywhere. Beeb's uh, not quite uh, doing that stage herself. Uh, we've got some big sponsors come in and uh, helped us out. Uh, yeah, the genuine the the support we've had from sponsors has been it's been flabbergasting to be honest. With you. Which is great because more. I mean, obviously, I I don't really know where what the sponsors are. I needed to look into it more, but it's great that small companies and all the way through to big companies and and these sponsors are doing this. More people should be sponsoring expeditions like this because they are incredible. It's a very hard thing to do is go about getting sponsorship, I believe. Uh, we've, I know we've we've uh, had the feels out there and we've done quite well. I think other, other expeditions, there's some great ideas kicking around for the expeditions uh, and people just can't get the funding for it. I'm, I'm not saying like, every expedition has to uh, be massively expensive and need a lot of funding. Yeah, but it, sorry, no. Sorry, I was just saying. Yeah, obviously you, you're correct. I mean, sometimes expeditions they don't need lots of funding, but nowadays I would say that most of them, most of them require quite a bit of money. Yeah, especially if you're going on to the other side of the world. I mean, Daryl and I do quite a lot of what would I suppose be classed as mini expeditions, if you like, and we do that on a very, very, very tight budget. Um, but yeah. the idea of exploring and expeditions is kind of at the heart of everything that we're doing now, which is why we find you know this trip particularly fascinating. Although I don't know if I would uh, really like the such cold temperatures. Yeah, I've just heard of well, you probably have heard of a man called Alistair Humphreys who. He kind of spearheads the micro adventure, doesn't he? No, no. I was I was just going to move on to this on personal heroes alive and dead and i know that you've mentioned him before and i've i've actually met him uh once um and oh, he was yeah. he was a very good very good speaker and of course uh, if anyone doesn't know um about him um he's cycled the world uh, and i think don't quote me on this he did it for about seven thousand pounds took him four he years did he did do it for seven thousand seven thousand yeah. pounds in four years so there's your point right there that exp- expeditions don't actually need to cost a lot yeah, you know, seven thousand pounds for four years traveling the world. I mean, you you couldn't actually do that uh, any other way, really. Uh, but I mean, that is that you, is you, four... you couldn't live for seven months in Edinburgh on seven thousand pounds. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so... he, he went through some arduous times, though. I think it's uh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, I'm not. I'm not saying it was it was plain sailing uh, for yeah. for seven grand over four years. But I mean, what other personal heroes do you have or look up to? You know, especially coming into this expedition. Uh, you know, people like that. Uh, yeah. So, Alistair Humphreys. I love that. His uh, his idea of a micro adventure that really got my got my thought process going. And we've done it a, a number of times at work where we've. Uh, we went out in the afternoon, quickly ran up a hill, uh, ran up a few bends, uh, dropped down, uh, built a campfire, slept out, 
and then ran into work the next day. Uh, and it's, it's a great way to to freshen up, freshen yourself up, uh, and a good way of like remembering just what would normally be a, a normal night. Yeah, I mean, uh, so, I mean, basically, when he was talking, he was basically saying, you know, that you know, try and sleep out in the stars, you know, at least once a month. You know, there's there's almost no excuse. You you have a few hours when you get home when you finish work um, to go to, to go and do do something like you just done there. You know, I, I really enjoyed um, listening to him talk. But on you go, car- carry on with what what you were saying. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of uh, kind of modern day adventurers. Obviously, like every every person looks up to Ronald Fiennes. We all we all know what Ronald Fiennes done. Yeah, it, uh, you know, know, I mean, he's the true inspiration. Qu- quoted the the greatest living explorer right now, which you know it's very hard to argue with that. I mean, oh, what yeah, he's done is absolutely incredible, and. And uh, for people that don't know, he actually has a, a fund. I think it's the uh, Trans Global um, Trust, where he um, basically uh, tries to get money together for people doing expeditions like what you're doing now. Yeah, is that where Ed Stafford got his money from? For one of his for I, th- for the Am- I think walking for walking the Amazon. Amazon. I think he he may have. Sorry, say again. Uh, well, we, we were we were just saying that um, I th- we, we believe that part of uh, the funding for Ed Stafford's walking the Amazon might have actually been from oh, the, yeah. s- the Sir Ronald Fiennes Trust, but don't yeah. it might not be. A, I'm sure I read that Ed, somewhere. Yeah, no, he could well be right. Ed Stafford's a bit of a legend as well. Like he is. Uh... He's left his life, hasn't he? Uh, I, I think he continues to live his life. Uh, the stuff he does is absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I I encourage anyone to read his book about walking the Amazon. If you don't want to read it, there's DVDs out as well. Um, you know, he, he spent two years um, walking across the Amazon, the first ever person to do it. Uh, you know, for me, he, yeah. he's a personal hero of mine. Uh, but um, yeah. ca- carry on um, talking about what you you were saying there about your heroes. Yeah, there's one that's a lot closer to home that I think we both know. Uh, he'll never thank me for saying this. I'm like, yes, thank you. Uh, it's a guy called Jim Schoen. Of course, uh, yeah. Yeah, so... The, 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 man, uh, the man that has done everything, I, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so when I, I was like a young baby diver. Uh, I had this uh, pretty gnarly old wooden diver called uh, Sharpie. And Sharpie used to tell me all these stories of this great man called Jim Schoen who'd... Uh, it went up Everest, but unfortunately, uh, when he was up there, he suffered from altitude sickness. But he pushed his body that far uh, that he'd taken a heart attack. But he'd made it back down to base camp, uh, and they wanted to try and get him off the hill as quick as they could. They wanted to uh, fly him off uh, by a helicopter off, and he, he said, no, no, Ginger wouldn't do that. He, he walked down like it. Now, some of these stories, I, I could be massively exaggerating. But uh, I mean, that's I that's the story I've heard. So I don't think it's grown too many legs. So it must be close to the truth. And I hope one day I, we get Jin John here because he is a very interesting man. And he, I, I believe, I think you told me, he is writing a book, actually. Yeah, I think Jin does. He's, uh, he's actually working down at the section this week. I just seen him a little on today. So uh, being being slightly out the loop, I didn't quite get the connection about... Have You You guys have both met him and you both know him. He's a, he's yeah, a diver. Yeah, both Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The great thing about Ginge is he's, he's just this quiet little man. Uh, I'd never, when I first met Ginge, like, uh, you had something pictured in your head of this this massive ogre of a man, it's all these great things. 
And he met him, he was just like, this little quiet man that's not really got much hair. Uh, <laughs> Who clearly was ginger himself. at one point in his life, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> I can say that being a ginger, otherwise, you know, that might be a not PC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think every every young diver uh, gets told uh, stories of ginger filling. Uh, it's, it's something that... In the diving branch, there's not many people like him. Actually, I don't think there's many people like him in the Navy. No, I, I don't think so. He he is an extraordinary person. And like I said, I hope we do actually get him on at some point. Yeah, hope, hopefully you do. Uh, it's it's the modesty or the understatement of a man that's done that much and very little people know about him. I just I have uh, one sort of maybe not quite final but one of one of the the final questions for you and that is yeah. do you have a a fear do you have any fear for this expedition in particular a personal fear maybe uh, I think yeah well we all have fears in life it's how you deal with the fears that matter uh, I, I personally have uh, I don't have huge issues with uh, height. Uh, but I'm aware of height. There's not, nothing about the sea bothers me, nothing about the cold bothers me. Uh, I, I think I understand what uh, you, what's going to come that way, but certainly the the height of things, up in the, the glaciers, uh, I know, for example, when I was in Austria just past the first time, uh, we were walking down the glacier, uh, it was my part, uh, two people I uh, looked onto myself uh Emily and Alex, and uh, those they had to cross this uh, this part of the glacier. It was a it was a big old jump, and it was a long way down. And I remember thinking for the first time, I was like, I'm out of my comfort zone here. And I've not felt that for a long, long time. Where I'm out of my comfort zone, I'm standing there, cussing, swearing uh, to myself, oh, I'm going to have to do this jump. Uh, and then just eventually, I was like, right, I'm doing it. Uh, and then threw myself out with everything that I had. Uh, but yeah, I guess this, this is you know partly what this expedition's about to put you out of your comfort zone and and it, and find something new inside you that you never knew you had. Obviously, you don't have to go outside your comfort zone almost you know to die. But you know a small no. thing like like that. I, mean, I say a small thing. I've never done it. I mean, it sounds extraordinary. <laughs> you know, crossing a glacier like that. It, it would be terrifying. Um, and. Uh, you know, I applaud you for for what you're doing because it is actually going to be an amazing expedition. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I thought so. But the signs are uh, the signs are good at the moment for uh, a great six weeks down in Antarctica. That's for sure. I know you haven't even started or finished this next expedition, but do you see yourself following that sort of trend and following the heroes that you, you've you, you've listed and talked about? And carrying on that push for for adventure and expeditions and being involved in, you know, maybe it'd be kind of hard to be involved in anything much bigger than what you're doing now, but involved in more expeditions in the future. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Uh, we all have our, our goals that we want to do in life, and there's there's no fucking resting on your laurels once you've done uh, once you've done something like this. You want to try and improve, and yeah, you want to ins- inspire others within the. Maybe uh, this is the whole way through the ex- uh, this expedition. Uh, there's been a big push upon uh, trying to 
big up the adventurous training world in the Navy. Uh, and yeah, if I can do that in any way, that'd be brilliant. But on a more personal, I'd love to get to uh, getting to the poles of crack. Uh, the South Pole was. Uh, I, I grew up in stories of uh, Scott and Hamilton racing to the South Pole, and with. Obviously, Scott's uh, ship Discovery just up the road. Yeah, in, uh, yeah no, just not, down, not, just not too far us. away from yeah. us at all in Dundee. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think if you grow up in around that area and you're going through Dundee and you see this ship, you, you obviously you're going to be asking your mum and your dad what this ship is. And, yeah, from there, it just grew this great fascination with uh, the Antarctic and the, the harshness and the, the, the great men that uh, conquered it. Or didn't conquer it in Scott's uh, in Scott's uh, expedition. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they, it's it, it's heartening to know that you know there are still people out there, men and women, who still have that drive and thirst for adventure that you know those guys of old had, and you know we sometimes yeah. think that it's been it's been lost, and you you often hear people say you know they don't make men like that anymore. But, you know, I, I think we do. Uh, we do. You know, there are... You, I mean, you've talked about quite a lot of them. I mean, Sir Arnold Fiennes is, is a fantastic example and the stuff he still does to this day. And you know, he's he, he's getting on in years as well. You know, there are yeah, some... Exactly. There's a lot of people doing a lot of great things. And, you know, what you guys are doing, uh, your team, is, is one example of that. And it's fantastic. And I think more people need to sort of pay attention to these because I think, you know, adventure and exploration is... is you know what makes yeah. us human and it's certainly what all of our foundations have been built on oh exactly exactly i think i think everyone's got it in them i just think that sometimes people put too many limits on their life and uh, limits only hold you back so if you get involved and you give it your best shot uh and you you try you try new things you try and explore you try and conquer uh, effectively, is however small that may be. The next time you do it, you're going to try and do something better. You're going to try and do something bigger. And if you keep going like that, I don't think you can go too far wrong. You no. just got to find somewhere to start. Very, very true. And and just just on a final final note here, I mean, we're going to try and catch up with you. You know, I've already spoken to you. Probably not during the expedition. It's going to be a very busy time for you. And like you said, you're probably not even going to be able to speak to your wife, let alone try and speak to us. But if yeah. we, if possible, we will try and speak to you when you finish the expedition and maybe when you're on the Falklands, just for a two-minute phone call. Yeah, that, I'm sure that wouldn't be an issue. Um, but in the meantime, we will be following you. And I, I encourage anyone that's listening to follow you guys on Facebook and on Twitter. And I'll also have the link for... The, um, the Antarctic Endurance um, webpage online. Yeah, we, we'll we'll whenever we see new links coming up, we'll from you, put, we'll, we'll, we'll stick them, them on on our own, uh, you know, on our <laughs> own sites as well, just so everybody who, who's following us can keep up to date with what uh, what yeah. you guys are doing as well. That'd be brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, th- thank you very much for coming on, Chris. Yeah, um, thanks for your time. We're Chris. very excited about this expedition, and uh, yeah. I hope it all goes well for you. And we'll keep in contact. Yeah, good luck to everyone who's on it. That's great. Thanks. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Into the Wilderness podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed having Chris on today and I learned a few things myself. Now, there was one thing that we ran out of time to talk about and that is the fact that Chris is in fact a world record holder. In March this year, himself and a few other men from Northern Diving Group broke the world record for cycling underwater. 
They cycled underwater in full operational gear. Now, they didn't just break the world record. They destroyed the world record. The original record was 162 kilometers. They did 1,001 miles. An amazing feat, and all for charity as well. So, well done on them. Now, in two weeks' time, we're going to have David from Always Hunting, and we're going to be talking about his latest film, Heritage, that will be on our Facebook page. I encourage everyone to go and watch it. It's going to be a great podcast, uh, mainly talking about hunting uh, and a few other things as well. Now, remember, the podcast is out once every two weeks. It is on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast has once again been brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports.